Good morning. Would you come with me before the throne in prayer? Uh, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Father, what joy we have in gathering as a community of your saints to give you praise and glory for your many and manifest and perfect blessings on us. Even in our continual state as rebellious sinners, you, Christ, not only came for us, you died in our stead, so we will not fear or ever suffer the eternal judgment we deserve. What a Savior, what a Lord. Now as we have earlier confessed our sins before you and received your pardon, we can now come as needy people to your throne with our concerns, our desires, our petitions. This is an amazing privilege, Lord, and we give you thanks that you covet to hear from us. We ask your comfort and blessings on Cindy, John, Philip Hay, and Becky and Richie Hamer, along with all the grandkids that Bill loves so deeply. What a rich and lasting legacy he leaves behind. We mourn with the family his loss to us, but we all rejoice when we remember both his life with us and what he meant to many of us and the fact that he is now in the arms of you, King Jesus. <clears throat> oh, how we long to join him. And join him we will. <clears throat> we also lift up Bill and Kim and Jim and Jamie and the death of Bill and Jim's dad. Again, we mourn, but not as those without a hope. May he forever find the joy of the Savior. We mourn with Tom and Kate McKnight. In the death of Tom's dad, make us mindful of our part to play in their, li- in their family's lives as grief, <clears throat> time of grief as members of the covenant community so that we can best provide support to them in this time. <clears throat> After a long journey with illness and infirmity, Lauren Hayes' father also died, and he is also now with you, his everlasting father, and is rejoicing to be free from all this world throws at us. Please be with Lauren and Jeff and the family. And Father, we also agree with Tom, Todd Anderson and his family and the death of his brothers this past week. Please, Lord, lend them your gracious, comforting love, reassuring them that you are with them. <clears throat> we have others in our family who are struggling with various health issues. Mike Stanley, go with Judy as she seeks to care for him. <clears throat> we rejoice in Mike's example of good, godly faith, faith in the face of much difficulty. Mike Witten, Mike shows what persistence in the life in the face of multiple health, health issues and disappointment looks like. Be with Sandy, who is an amazing caregiver. We know that they both know this is a temporary situation and that the hope of all of our lives is before us. We join today in welcoming new members to our church's family, both by public profession and baptism. Would you graft them fully, each into the vine, and grant them the covenant blessings we all enjoy? It's appropriate today and every day to pray for our missionary partners and those from our family who are on mission even now. Rigo and Barnegas and Ashley Sin are in Honduras for Forgotten Children's Ministry this week. We pray you will give them strength, wisdom, stamina, and coverage for them as they minister to the least of these. And we rejoice in this very important celebration in our church calendar this week when we kick off your missions festival. What a time this is for us, and I pray the same for those partners whom we will be joining with to witness the remarkable ways you are moving in the world. <clears throat> Lend your spirit's guidance, wisdom, and peace to Richard Pratt as he comes to proclaim just what you can do and are doing through unworthy service to reach all peoples for the gospel of Christ. Now, 
We await the word preached by Robbie. Give him your anointing presence and guidance and wisdom. We are thankful for his preparation and look forward to being convicted by your words through him. All this we say and ask in your son's name, the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you've already heard and seen, it's a joyful day at Covenant Presbyterian Church, receiving new members and covenant baptisms, but it's also a sad and heavy day at Covenant Presbyterian Church. Our founding pastor uh, died last Sunday, and many of our families have lost loved ones just this week as well. Our church family, we've lost our founding pastor, but other families lost father and grandfather. Uh, Several people lost their father this week. Others lost a grandmother. Others lost a brother. Uh, Much uh, heaviness, much to grieve. And here we are uh, as God's people. Uh, Joy in God's presence and grieving in the wilderness, that is the Christian life in a nutshell. Uh, We've seen that again and again in the book of Numbers. And today, Please, no cheering. We get to finish the book of Numbers. It's the last two chapters, Numbers 35 and 36 uh, of the book of Numbers. And uh, as we saw last week, we saw there were three laws uh, in the previous passage because God's people are on the precipice, on the border, on the boundary of the promised land. And this is the the last three laws. There's six laws in the book of Numbers. And all six laws are about this. You are about to go in and get your inheritance. It's all coming to you. God's plan is unfolding for you. When you cross that boundary, you will go in, you will push out the idol worshiping inhabitants. You will get rid of all of their idols and you will even tear down their high places of idol worship and you will inhabit the land. But it's my gift to you. The Lord has said to his people again and again and again, I am giving it to you. It is your inheritance. Go in and get it. And so at the end of the book of Numbers, there's these six laws. And we're looking at the last three today. And as we'll see, as we read in just a minute, uh, these last three laws are about uh, God wants Levitical cities, cities for the Levites all through the land. You'll see in just a second, 48 of those cities. Also, God wants refuge cities uh, in certain situations when people are desperate and need asylum or refuge. Um, And also, God wants his people to know that the inheritance has a nature of permanence to it. And so we'll see all that uh, today. If you will, read along with me here. It's printed on page 15 in your worship guide. But if you have your Bible, I'm reading Numbers 35, uh, the first 11 verses. So please read along with me. Numbers 35, beginning with verses 1 through 11. Yahweh spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to dwell in and their pasture lands. Lands shall be for their cattle and for their livestock and for all their beasts. The pasture lands of the cities which you shall give to the Levites shall reach from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure Outside the city on the east side, 2,000 cubits, and on the south side, 2,000 cubits, and on the west side, 2,000 cubits, and on the north side, 2,000 cubits, the city being in the middle. This shall belong to them as pasture land for their cities. 
The cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge where you shall permit the manslayer to flee. And in addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. All the cities that you give to the Levites shall be 48 with their pasture lands. And as for the cities that you shall give from the possession of the people of Israel, from the larger tribes, you shall take many. And from the smaller tribes, you shall take few, each in proportion to the inheritance that it inherits, shall give of its cities to the Levites. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for your word. Thank you that we are finishing this book of Numbers today where you've reminded us again and again that Leaders die. Generations pass away and new generations emerge. We are your wilderness people with the promise of a great and permanent inheritance. Shape our longing hearts with wisdom today from your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at these last three laws in the book of Numbers, and I'm going to draw four points from those today, and let me just tell you what those are. I want you to know, first of all, that God wants his ministers of the word in the midst of his people. We're going to look at that here for just a few minutes. God wants his ministers of the word in the midst of his people. Secondly, we're going to see from the cities of refuge that God wants his mercy and kindness to reshape his people. God wants the people that are shaped by mercy and kindness. Thirdly, we're going to see that God wants his people to take the land. And in the story of the whole Bible, that is the whole earth through the apostolic gospel. And fourthly, we're going to see that God wants you to know that the final inheritance is permanent. And those are our four points today. So uh, we'll begin at the beginning. God wants his ministers of the word to dwell in the midst of his people. Uh, look with me. What we have here at the very beginning is God describes for, for Moses, Yahweh tells Moses, command the people that I want my Levites not all hanging out in one central place. God had the whole tribe of Levi and what did he do? He designated 48 different cities to spread out all among God's people. And if there was a very large tribe with a large inheritance, they would have a a few more of these cities. And if it was a small tribe with a smaller inheritance, they'd have a a few less of these cities. Why? God wanted it to be proportional. He wanted his Levites spread out through the whole people. And so here's one thing I want you to see today. When we think about the Levites, we always think priests and we always think sacrifice, but not all the Levites were priests. And all the priests and all the Levites did more than offer sacrifices. One thing the Bible tells us over and over again is that the Levites were students of God's word and he meant them to be teachers of his word. So here's what God did. He filled the land of his people with his ministers of the word. Look at the two verses here printed for you on page 17 of your worship God. This is what God said to Aaron, the high priest who was very involved in slaughtering animals and throwing blood on things and uh, doing all, wearing the, the priestly garments and all that. Yahweh also said to Aaron, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that Yahweh has spoken 
to them by Moses. The high priest was a teacher, but not just the high priest. Here's Deuteronomy 33, verse 10. This is what Moses is saying to Yahweh as he's blessing God's people at the end of his life. Who is this tribe of Levi? Talking about the whole tribe of Levi that are going to live in these 48 cities. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. That last part's what what we think about. We think Levi, we think priests, we think sacrifices. But in both these verses, and there's many others, this is what God said. I want my, pe- my, my Levites to be spread out in 48 cities all through my people. And remember, they are teachers of the word. God wants his ministers of the word in the midst of his people. I mean, I wish I could think of a good example of a minister of the word living in the midst of his people. Oh yeah, Bill Hay, our founding pastor, was a great example of this. You may have heard the story of the founding pastor of this church. He founded it in 1978 with other leaders. And he was the pastor of this church for the first 33 years of our existence. And he lived right here in Homewood. But before that, did you know that he pastored another Presbyterian church in Homewood in Edgewood, Edgewood Presbyterian Church. He was the pastor of that church for 12 years. Bill Hay lived in Homewood and pastored in this community for 45 years. A long obedience in the same location. And he was a minister of the word in the midst of God's people. Tom McKnight told me this last week, a fun story about Reverend Hay, the one that he says he, he remembers like it was yesterday. Uh, one day, Reverend Hay was preaching uh, the first service and the second service, but in between, uh, he was asked to fill in at the last minute in a Sunday school class. Very last minute, oh, Reverend Hay, we don't have our teacher. Come in and teach. And that class was discussing an Old Testament story. Tom didn't remember what story it was, but he remembered what Bill Hay said. So they were discussing an Old Testament story and they were having like a conversational adult class. And at one point, Reverend Hay realized people were a little lost and he said, hey, have you noticed uh, that when you're reading these Old Testament stories, there's often a bad guy and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. And he said, here's what I want you to do. When you read the Old Testament story and you identify who the bad guy is and you identify what's wrong, his attitude, his actions, his words, whatever, uh, then just ask yourself, When in the last month have I been thinking and living just like that bad guy? And if not the last month, how about the last week or the last day or in the last hour? When have I been speaking and thinking and acting like that bad guy? What sage, wise, pastoral advice. The opposite of moralism. Sometimes we read the Old Testament, we're like, oh, be like Jonah and flee from the Lord. Be like Samson. I mean, you know, that's not how we're supposed to read the Old Testament. There's actually one great hero in the whole biblical story, one who does not fail, uh, who we can emulate. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but Bill Hay was a wise minister of the word in the midst of the people, teaching the people of God how to engage with God in the scriptures. Philip uh, Phyllis Ham told me after the first service, uh, she was drawn to Covenant Prez when, when Covenant Prez began meeting at Reed Chapel uh, it's on Sanford's campus because when she showed up, Reverend Hay just opened the Bible and taught from it. It's a great heritage of this church, simple pointing to what the Bible says. But secondly, I want you to see that God wants his mercy and kindness to reshape his people. Now, um, there's more here in these chapters about these refuge cities. Uh, Let me give you the cultural background so you can understand it with me. Um, In the ancient world, um, if if somebody accidentally killed somebody else, uh, a member of the family of the deceased 
had the right in the ancient world to go and put that person to, a, to, to death. Now, if it was on purpose, they had that right. But even if it was accidental, and that, uh, that person was the avenger, the avenger of the blood. So imagine um, that I'm, I'm sitting here, and there's Bob Sheffield. Imagine Bob has five brothers, and I accidentally kill one of Bob's brothers. Well, if Bob is the avenger of his family, that means he's going to come and track me down. All, all, in ancient culture, he's going to come track me down and put me to death, avenge his brother's blood. But not in Israel. Now, in Israel, if I murdered his brother, then I am susceptible. I could be put to death because uh, Bob's brother would have been made in God's image, and it was a capital crime to murder anybody. If you go read this chapter, it says that over and over again. If I killed his brother with a kind of tool, the kind of a stone or kind of piece of wood that would kill somebody when you swing it at him, or if I was really angry with that person or I jumped out and surprised him and put them to death, on all those paragraphs, you'll read it. It says, that person's a murderer, put him to death. Okay, but the refuge cities are for a different situation when the person did not intend to murder. Let's say I'm working uh, with Bob's brother and I'm using an axe and the axe head flies off and kills his brother accidentally. Well, in the ancient world, the avenger of blood can track me down and put me to death because I have put someone in his family to death. But Yahweh says that's not how it will be among you. We don't want a cycle of vengeance and violence violence. We don't want blood feuds passing through the people after generation after generation. So here's what Yahweh did. I want my people teaching the word, my Levites teaching the word in 48 cities. But one out of every eight of those, six of those cities are cities of refuge. And, and here's what happens. If I killed one of Bob's brothers by accident, I could flee to the city of refuge and no one can avenge my blood. That was the system to put down a cycle of violence and vengeance. And then I'll have to live there as long as the high priest was alive. Whoever the high priest was when I accidentally put Bob's brother to murder, if I was going to go to the city of refuge, that's how I'd save my life. Go to the city of refuge and I would live there for five years or five decades. Whoever was the high priest when I accidentally put his brother to death, if I wanted to live, I would go live in that city of refuge and stay there until the high priest took my guilt for spilling blood to the grave. It's really interesting, but if you, if you think about it, here's what Yahweh is doing. He's breaking cycles of vengeance, breaking cycles of, of violence, and recognizing that not all deaths are the same. We live in a fallen and broken world, and murder is punishable by death because everyone is made in the image of God. But accidental murder, manslaughter, is not. And so uh, that distinction is made here in this passage. But also, I want you to notice one other thing uh, with me. If you flip over on page 16, um, here's the description of the city of refuge, where they would be. Pick up with me in verse 12. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer, that's the involuntary manslayer, may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. Congregation is going to judge whether it was an accident or intentional. Verse 13, and the cities that you give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan, Canaan to be cities of refuge. Did you see that? Look at God's mercy and patience and kindness. There'll be six cities of refuge. Three will be on the side of the land where the two and a half tribes failed to cross the Jordan and failed to go into the promised land. They were not living up to Yahweh's ideal. It wasn't perfect. He wanted all 12 tribes to go into the promised land. 
Two and a half tribes stayed out, but three of the cities of refuge would be inside the land and three of the cities of refuge would be outside the land. That is remarkably kind and patient and merciful from God. They're not living up to his standards and yet he's showing them mercy. They still have three cities of refuge. I I wish I had a, a good illustration of the power of kindness. Oh yeah. Our founding pastor, the Reverend Bill Hay. Uh, Some of you are new, some of you are visitors. I'm going to tell you these stories anyway. It really matters. Uh, This church was founded by a man who was remarkably kind in the power of the Spirit. Uh, uh, Some of you are new like me. I haven't been here four years yet. And every now and then people will come and visit our church and come and join our church like today. And they're brand new to Covenant Press. And they say, Robbie, it's so, it's wonderful. And sometimes they're surprised. They're like, this is the kindest it's, it's such a welcoming, friendly church. It's, it's so great. And I always say, yeah, he goes back to our founder. He was a remarkably friendly and kind man. He saw everyone around him as important and treated people with great dignity. It's who he was. And he, in the Lord, by God's grace, he set that, day, that DNA here, a DNA of warm, welcoming, friendly kindness, and it is our privilege and our duty to steward that well. To our newest members, you who joined the church today, you joined a church shaped by the kindness of our founding pastor, a fruit of the Spirit. And we invite you as you move into membership at Covenant Press to help us steward that gift. It is a joy and a privilege to be the people of God, shaped by warmth and kindness. And that's who our founding pastor was. Uh, You might know the story of the conversion of St. Augustine, St. Augustine, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, St. Augustine, one of the most important uh, theologians in the history of the church. And uh, there's different accounts of how he was converted. But here's what he said to Bishop Ambrose. Bishop Bishop Ambrose was the bishop uh, where Augustine uh, lived and he had heard his teaching a lot. And at one point, Augustine said to Ambrose, it was not your great teaching, but that you were kind to me. The kindness of a bishop led to the conversion of St. Augustine, who's one of the most important theologians in the history of the church. Do not underestimate the power of kindness. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. And we see it here in in God's heart in the passage. And you and I are encouraged to be like our founding pastor and like our God and King. Thirdly, I want you to see God wants his people to take the land. Now, the whole end of the book of Numbers, that's what it's about. There's six laws and that's what the whole book's about that, right? They left Egypt, they went to Sinai, they got God's directions, and they're marching through the wilderness. Uh, They got hung up for 40 years because they rebelled. But And even though the whole book of Numbers is about traveling, uh, leaving Sinai and going all the way uh, to the boundary of the promised land so that they can go in and inherit the land, and that is God's plan for them. Go take the land, go take the land, go take the land. And I want you to know that God's people taking the promised land in the Old Testament that is merely a type and a shadow of God's plan for us, God's apostolic church, to take the whole earth, the nations, for God's glory through the apostolic gospel. Look with me at these uh, quotes now at the bottom of page 17. Look at what you have here. Um, Numbers from Numbers 35, the passage at the end of last week. There were those two tribes, and that half-tribe 
They received their inheritance on the wrong side of the Jordan. That, that, that was bad toward the sunrise. But then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land to you for inheritance. In other words, what happens, it should have been 12 tribal heads receiving the inheritance and then giving it out by lot. But what you have actually at the end of Numbers is 10 tribal heads are, are listed. Why? Because they weren't following the ideal. Two and a half tribes out here, nine and a half-ish in there. The numbers are weird. Um, but what you have is something that's, that's close to the ideal. They're getting the land. You got certain men set apart to oversee the fair disbursement of the land because the inheritance must be passed, be passed out to God's people in a good and right way. And the ideal would have been 12 tribes in the land uh, led by 12 tribal heads making sure that everyone got a fair portion of the land. But it wasn't ideal, but that would have been ideal. 12 tribes, 12 tribal heads di- dis- dividing up dispersing the inheritance. We'll look at the passage just below that. Even when Jesus died and rose again, it wasn't a perfect 12 at first. Here's what Peter says in Acts 1. Judas, listen to this language. It should sound familiar. Judas was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And they go on and talk about uh, he fulfilled scripture and fell away and abandoned betrayed but then at the end of that passage and they cast lots for them because they had two brothers they were choosing from and the lot fell on matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles in that interesting language there were 11 surviving apostles and what they do the added one what does that give you 12 apostles don't you see what's going on here do, do you remember who it was that jesus gave the great commission to at the end of matthew's gospel the 11 met jesus on the mountain to receive the great commission in the apostles, it was very important to them to add a 12th. They wanted 12 apostles. Why? They recognized that in Christ Jesus, they were the new Israel. And they understood they were commissioned by King Jesus, not just to get one strip of land, but to proclaim the apostolic gospel to the nations. God's mission is on. And we're part of it. And one thing I want you to know about our founding pastor, the Reverend Bill Hay, is this was a deep and abiding passion of his, God's global mission. He was deeply involved with some of you leaders, um, making sure we built a fellowship hall so we could worship and do other things there and then eventually build this sanctuary. Uh, some of you were some of the first to be baptized in that, in this sanctuary or get married in the sanctuary and then build the children's wing for children education. Um, and, and, and he was deeply committed along with other leaders to seeing this church built up to be a thriving church, but it was never insular. The end of his vision, our founding pastor was never just this location, just this address, just these buildings, but he had a driving passion for the apostolic gospel to reach the nations. Uh, Bill Hay, when he was a pastor of this church, went on a trip to Romania and it shook him. And he came back and he talked about it and he shared his experience with you. And he began to invite you to go on trips with him. And before too long, leaders from this church and all kinds of members from this church were going to Ukraine and planting churches and building up Christian institutions to see uh, that nation healed by the power of the gospel. Before you knew it, uh, Bill Hay and others were going to Chile over and over over again. Before you knew it, we were sending one of our youngest pastors to Honduras to to join a really significant church planning movement there. Uh, It's a privilege 
to be a church shaped by that original vision and that deep passion by our founding pastor. And it's our duty and our joy to steward that. Uh, The passage we read earlier from Hebrews 13 says you're supposed to remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider their, their manner of life and its outcome. And then it says to imitate their faith. I want to tell you a brief story about our founding pastor. When he was uh, ending his time at the other Presbyterian church in this neck of the woods, um, he had a congregational meeting to tell the congregation, Edgewood Presbyterian, that he was leaving Edgewood and going to plant a new church and join a new fledgling uh, congregation. Uh, They had grown over his 12 years from 100 people, 100 members to 300 members, and he had to tell the congregation that he was leaving Edgewood and going to plant a new church. And it shocked everybody including his wife, Cindy, who heard it with everybody else, the congregational meeting. And later she would burst into tears. But then she would look him in the eyes and say, if this is what God is calling you to do, I am with you. We are to remember our leaders, those who spoke the word of God to us, supposed to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A few years, years later, uh, when, when things were just starting to happen here, we just purchased nine acres. Uh, this church had grown to 150 members. In other words, it was half the size of the church that Reverend Hay left. But then it grew and grew and grew because he was deeply committed to teaching the scriptures, God's global mission and discipling the members of this church. The final thing I want you to know is that God wants you to know the final inheritance is permanent. When you read the very last chapter, I didn't print it here. Uh, it's there's numbers 36, just 13 verses long. When you read it, you're like, why did, why did the book end like this? It's a controversy over inheritance rights. It's the perfect ending to this book because the people of God are going in to receive their inheritance. Just remember with me back in chapter 27, there's a guy uh, in the tribe, you know, uh, of Manasseh from Joseph. Uh, there, there was a guy named Zelophehad, and he didn't have any sons. And he died, and he only had these five daughters. And there's the question now is, wait a minute, there's no son to get the inheritance. And so the daughters go to Moses and say, hey, what about us? We're, we're how can we inherit the land? Our fathers died and we don't have a brother to inherit it. And Moses is like, you got me. And he went and he talked to the Lord and Yahweh said, the daughters of Zelophehad are right. And so uh, then they, they said, here's the law. Uh, daughters, when uh, the father dies, and there's no son, daughters can receive the inheritance. They already had a dowry, which was meant to be uh, care for them. But just remember, when we read these ancient laws, we read it through an individual rights uh, perspective. Uh, they, were, they were thinking about what was good for the community, what was good for the whole, uh, what was good for the, for the whole tribe, the whole clan, the whole, whole nation. And so the new law was that the daughters could inherit, uh, get, get, get the inheritance if there was not a son to inherit it. Well, at the very last chapter, you have people from the same tribe and they come and they're like, hey, have you thought about this? Because like, what if there were seven you know, uh, people who only had daughters, didn't have sons. And what if those daughters went and married people from other tribes and then their sons inherited that land? Don't you see that means that our part of the inheritance would whittle away over time and other tribes would get more inheritance and our tribe would get less inheritance. And Moses is like, you got me. They go in and talk to the Lord and Yahweh says, yeah, that's also a very important concern. And then you can read it there in verses seven through nine. It's very emphatic over and over again. Here's what 
they say to the daughters of Zelophehad, but others, uh, you can marry anyone you want inside your clan, inside your tribe. That sounds weird to us. Uh, it would be, the numbers would be even bigger than like, if you're from Mountain Brook, you've got to marry someone from Mountain Brook. I mean, we're not talking about tiny little, little communities here, pretty, pretty large numbers. Uh, but what they're doing is creating stability. And here's what's emphasized in those verses over and over again. The inheritance has a permanence to it. We don't want any, the Lord didn't want anyone losing their inheritance. The Lord wanted his people to keep the inheritance. Don't you see that that's merely a type and a shadow of the inheritance that you and I receive by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? There's only one son in the whole biblical story who perfectly obeys and is the rightful heir of all things. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if you believe in Jesus, he's the rightful heir of all things, and you're a co-heir with Jesus of the new heavens and the new earth. It's all yours already in principle, and one day you'll experience it with him and your departed loved ones in the Lord forever and ever. I'm going to restate the fourth point. God wants you to know that the final inheritance is permanent, and that's really important. See, even our loved ones who die ahead of us, they're waiting on the final inheritance. Don't misunderstand this. We've already said it in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So please understand that we're people who believe in the resurrection of the body. Those of our loved ones who've died in the Lord, we bury their bodies. Their soul goes to be with Jesus. They're perfectly happy. There's no suffering or sorrow for them, but they're waiting for the great and final inheritance just like you and I are. The day's coming when King Jesus will come back and he will raise up all of the dead. He'll call us out of death to life and we will with our new glorified heart, soul, mind, and body, will inherit along with him the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, that is the great and final inheritance, and it will, and it's permanent. It can't be changed. We go from corruptible to incorruptible, from weakness to strength, from imperfection to perfection, and we inherit it and live with it with Jesus, in it with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Until we get that final installment of our full inheritance, we need strength, grace, and hope. And we're offered those things, not only in the word, but at the table of the king. Will you pray with me and let's go and get the grace that's been promised to us. Lord Jesus, how thankful we are for your promised presence and grace. Now we receive you spiritually by faith we look for the day that we will receive you in person when you return jesus help us remember even now that we who know you we eat this bread and drink this cup until you come again don't let us neglect this great hope that your return is our greatest hope Lord Jesus, feed us and strengthen us until that day here. Amen.